This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. We are in kind of the last, you know, the home stretch here for you. I, I another remember, week. Yeah, another week. Mm-hmm. I remember when the announcement came down that you would be retiring. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It seemed like it was a year in advance, and we were debating on air here whether or yeah. not we were like, is that? It's certainly newsworthy. Is it? Is it a major deal because it's a year out, and mm-hmm. here we are now, more than a year after that announcement. What is it like just in these closing moments of, of a big chapter of your life? Yeah, so it's it's fascinating. Uh, what seemed like a long time when I announced it a year ago now seems like it's sped by because we're, we're in the home stretch. And I think uh, the reason I did that was just the practical of giving our board the opportunity to do a major search, which they did, and, and very happy with the results of that search. But that's what the time was for. Um, I was originally going to leave on May 1st, and then David uh, made the decision to stay in Congress till June 1st, so I extended it to June 1st, uh, and then it became a whirlwind of activity. So I haven't slowed down at all. Um, it feels like I've been rounding the bases, and next week I'll slide into home and dust myself off and go into the locker room yeah. <laughs> because uh, it's just the way it is. There was there was no cutting back, and we just keep doing what we're doing until somebody else's turn to do it. What would you say, well, I'm sure you've said a lot to him, but if you could say three things to now Congressman Cicilline as he's about to take over the Rhode Island Foundation, what would you tell him? Yeah, so we, we've talked a lot, and um, um, I'll probably leave him the proverbial letter in the desk with yep. the keys or something. I don't know yet. Uh, and he's very smart. and He's very passionate. He knows the community. And so, you know, the first thing is to be true to our mission, which is to be a proactive, philanthropic, and community leader dedicated to meeting the needs of all the people of Rhode Island. So it's a big responsibility. We're by far the largest and most comprehensive funder, so there's a lot to do. Um, Kind of the second thing is um, kind of respect and honor the legacy. We're 107 years old. We're stewarding donors from 100 years ago. We're adding new donors. We're growing. And kind of the, the simple arithmetic, people say, well, why do you want to keep growing your endowment? And the reason is that's what fuels the grants that we make. So the bigger the endowment, X percent of a bigger number is a bigger number. And, um, you know, so we're doing we, – last year we did $84 million in grants. I think it was 20 or $25 million when I came in because we grew it. So I think continue the growth, continue the mission, uh, and then make his own mark. You know, um, uh, David's very, like I said, smart, passionate, knowledgeable, um, uh, well-plugged into the community – and uh, but it's a very very good staff. It's a very high functioning organization. Raise a lot of money, give out a lot of money. We do civic leadership, and so I think there's a certain element of continuity. Yeah, I don't know if that's three or five, but yeah, it's good enough, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Whatever the case yeah. may be. Well, it makes sense. The you know the Rhode Island Foundation. It's one of those things where if you went to, they use the example of I don't know if anyone's there, but if you went to the Warwick Mall right now and said. What does the Rhode Island Foundation do? You wonder how many people out of 10 would actually be able to answer that question. But for those that do understand the role, it is obviously an essential component of our state, and not only in the philanthropic context, but the trickle-down and Mm trickle-out effect. To that point, in terms of just making the public aware of what the Rhode Island Foundation is, what would you say that journey has been like for you and what's your recommendation going forward? Yeah, so I think clearly um, when when I came in 15 years ago, I didn't know a lot about the, the Rhode Island Foundation. So that was my kind of first clue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we set out uh, to take a more active role in leadership areas with the state. 
uh, to raise more money, to give out more money, and raise the profile. And raising the profile raises more money. Uh, the more people know about it and do it. And so I think to your good point, if you went to the mall, um, I, the only difference I think I would say is a lot of people know us for very specific reasons. Mm. So if you got a scholarship from a fund at the Rhode Island Foundation, if you're on the board of a nonprofit that got a grant, uh, if your aunt left the money uh, in a bequest to the Rhode Island Foundation, you know one slice of what we, we do. You may not know the comprehensive nature of what we do. Uh, so I think more people know uh, who we are, what we do, but we're certainly not, you know, um, a brand name. Right. That's interesting <clears throat> because you could say the same thing about so many elements yeah. of, of Rhode Island politics and this, right. the world around that. I'll give you a quick example. When I first got to the foundation, um, one of the things I was, it was suggested that I use as a kind of uh, the elevator pitch is that we're one of the oldest and largest community foundations in the United States. That's true. Nobody knew what a community foundation was. So the oldest and largest of, of what became the operative. We're your, we're the, we're the Rhode Island's community foundation. We're here of, for, and by the people of Rhode Island. That's really the importance. And then we do so many different things. You know, if you look at our website or annual report, you can navigate that because it is very broad in what we do. Mm, it certainly is. So there are a couple of key areas mm -hmm. that you've addressed specifically over the last weeks in, in, mm -hmm. in, in presentations and, and whatever the case may be. And, and Rhode Island right now is facing some significant challenges. They're not brand new. They've been around for a long time, but it seems like in some ways they've crested now. Yeah. Housing is obviously right there. Right. You've had major initiatives. Yeah. Education mm -hmm. is humongous at this point. And just interpreting data and trying to figure right. out what should we even really be doing about mm -hmm. education? Where do we even begin? Yeah. And then just economic development writ large, so to speak. The other two are very much so tied mm -hmm. in. So those issues, anything else that you may yeah. that come to mind, what, what's your advice going forward, the biggest takeaways on those major issues? Yeah, so in addition to that, I would add behavioral health, so substance sure. abuse and mental health off the charts. So I think one of the things, it's not an excuse, it's just the backdrop. These are national issues. Mm -hmm. Housing's a national issue. Learning loss and social-emotional learning loss um, in, in, in education because of COVID. Um, housing, you know, you read about it across the country. It's not an excuse, though. We, we need to tackle it. We like to think that our size can be an advantage, right? So nobody should be homeless tonight in this little state of Rhode Island. Nobody should have to make a decision. Do I pay rent? Do I buy food? Or do I um, buy medicine? Uh, our kids and our family should expect kids go to school and get a and, and learn to read. And right now, 67% of the kids that take the RICAST test don't read proficiently or at grade level. These are pretty dire things. And so, yeah. um, but, but they're long-term. And I think we need to stay the course on solutions. So historically, and I've been around a long time for whatever that means other than being old. Um, and we do too many flavor the moment things. Yeah. So we do this new initiative and that new initiative. And I'll just compare Massachusetts on education where they have arguably one of, if not the top education outcomes in the country. 1993, they made decisions and they've stayed with it. And through commissioners and through governors and through speakers and Senate presidents, um, uh, keep doing it. Uh, housing, you know, we, we helped fund and led this BCG report that was very big, mm -hmm. but it was startling to find out we were last in the country in units produced, 
last in the country for several years. Yeah, I didn't hear shocking. anybody talk about it five years ago. I didn't talk about it five years ago. I didn't even know it. So things like that, we shouldn't be, if these are major challenges, I get it, we shouldn't be outliers in these things. So we've tended to work on, on areas, I'd throw healthcare in, as I said, uh, even broader than behavioral health. Yep. But, you know, I've said this, and, and it's not um, to be uh, overly negative because I think we can work our way out of it. But if we don't fix our education system, if we don't provide adequate housing, and if we don't address the severe uh, behavioral health epidemic issues there, and we keep leading populations, leaving populations behind, I don't know how we have a workforce of the future. Yeah. I don't know how the numbers work. If, if they're not educated, if they're having personal challenges, mental health or substance abuse, and they can't find a place to live, that's a pretty serious thing. Uh, again, let's focus on these and let's do them, but let's have leadership that clears out bureaucracy. You know, the other night at our annual meeting, I talked about the can do and cannot do, and there's too many cannot do's around here, too many excuses about why we can't get things done. Damn the torpedoes and get them done. Nike's got it right. Just do it. Now, very easy for me to say that. Um, there's zoning laws and there's this, that, HIPAA laws and all this other stuff. I get it. But the goal has got to be help people work backwards. What do we need to do to get it done? So I'll get excited about a ribbon cutting for new housing production until I find out we're going to have it in five years. Yeah. Then I don't get excited. Get excited when I hear we'll have it in a year. Um, so I think that sense of urgency um, I think we need leadership to, to clear barriers of, of things. The speaker put in a number of bills on housing yep. to, to eliminate, I think, some of the process that was in the way. Um, but we need to stay the course and we need leadership to keep advancing that. Yeah, well said. I completely <clears throat> agree that there's an there's an energy that sometimes yeah. feels like is brewing. And again, there are mm -hmm. things like zoning laws yeah, or right. to, to build affordable housing is right. not as easy as saying, let's just do it. I mean, there's, yeah. there are a lot of components to it, but you're right within those little components and major components, there's a way to energize the process, incentivize perhaps, but even just seizing the moment, seizing right. the opportunity. It feels like we could do a way better job at I that. I agree with that. I agree with that. And even things that, that, that change, for example, um, that you used to hear a lot from the suburbs. We don't want any more housing because we can't afford to have more kids in the schools. Yep. Well, guess what? The school population has taken a dive. They don't, they got empty classrooms. That's not an issue right now. Um, we need density. You know, it's not just, I know home ownership is a ticket to building wealth. I get it. Mm -hmm. But having a nice apartment is better than not having a nice apartment or, right. or a place to live. Um, and we need to be more creative. You know, one of the ideas that I've put forth easy to put forth ideas, but the hospitals build some high rises for nurses right next to the hospital, subsidize them. Yeah. Can't find nurses, get them apartments for 800 bucks a month or something like that. Yeah. We've got to be more creative on, on using some of these ideas. Um, when you look at what's been done for the homeless population, um, you know, we pop up and say, we're going to go there. And then you find out there has got 82 problems, right? right? It leaks at this, the ownership and that. We got to get ahead of these curves. It gets cold every November. Can't wait till November to figure out we got to find a place. And the, the the only solution I've ever heard to homelessness is supportive housing. Yeah. You know, a place to live, the wraparound services to help people and, and 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 do that. It's interesting because on that issue, you'll hear well, I hear sometimes yeah. here on these airwaves when people call in or even just on the street or whatever, some you know, I go to some cookout or something right. like that. You hear, well, you know, I don't want to give 
taxpayer dollars or we could use philanthropic dollars for a better situation, um, whatever it is. But people neglect the fact that if you don't stabilize these areas of societal decay, of of people who have been left behind, of of whatever it is, with the full wraparound service, it's just whack-a-mole. And we'll get right back to where we were last November. Correct. It may not be the armory this time. Maybe Memorial Hospital works out, but then there'll be an issue there. Right. Right. And it's really about, like you said, that full-spectrum wraparound service. The other thing is I don't think people understand enough how close to the edge so many people are. So I remember hearing in the last recession, and you hear it now, when we talk to food pantries, and they will tell you that people who used to be donors are now standing in line. When you look at the statistics of, I don't know, you know, half the population in, in the United States can't afford a $400 expense if they have it this afternoon <clears throat> for a car or, or a, you know, a, a problem in their apartment or something. Um, that's very close to the edge. You know, making minimum wage, two people making minimum wage at, at Walmart still may qualify for food stamps. And because it's expensive. And, um, you know, we, we have not denied, but I don't think everybody knows the impact of inflation. I've been through this before. That's, it's tough. You know, eggs going up, bread going up, milk going up. Um, you know, I said with no disrespect to, to our, our delegation, but we brought in a, a whole lot of money to fix roads and bridges, sorely needed. Creates jobs, better roads and bridges. But if people can't afford the gas to drive on those roads and bridges. Right. What the hell are we doing? And so I think we've got to look at this, and leaders need to lead holistically. They really, you know, I, I say this, it sounds trite. Leaders need to lead. And leaders of leaders need to get rid of this bureaucracy that we face. Yeah. And be able to say, we can get from here to there, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it in the next six months. Yeah. People hear that, let's slash bureaucracy, and sometimes they go, oh, well, you want to slash services or whatever it is. Yeah. No, it's actually, I'm with you all the way, yeah. that the efficiency of right. is is lacking, and yeah. it gets bogged down when it's time to take action. And I'm not even saying um, uh, that it's, it's bodies. You know, I'm not advocating. Sure. Yep. Uh, if you have time, I'll give you a quick example oh, where it yeah. does work. Yep. So the armory, you mentioned the the. Um, yeah, the Cranston Street Armory. Yeah. So I went over there with Eileen Hayes from Amos House when yeah. they were first going to set it up because I was curious, what does it take to do that? And on one day I was there. She was there. There were people from Crossroads there. The National Guard folks were there and some people from state properties. I saw what can be done. We need more cots. We'll get them. We need refrigerators. Got it. We need more portajots. Got it. We need to close up an entrance. Got it. It was just the bureaucrats weren't there. I know where they were, but they weren't there that day. And that can do. And then when it came down to the governor wanted it opened on a Friday, and Eileen Hayes on Wednesday said we need the money to do it, the state couldn't get it to them for two weeks. So the foundation, this is where we could play a role, we we gave them $50,000 to get it going for two weeks. And not to applause, to get it done, to get people in there and to get services going. On the other hand, there's too many people out there, whether they're in government, whether they're in business, wherever it is, you know, uh, we can't do this in that time frame. I need to get an approval. We can't afford it. Uh, there's rules against this. We got to get rid of that. Yeah, I completely it, yeah. it's it's so true and yeah. and so basic at a certain level. But at the same time, it's it has been overlooked. You mentioned inflation and yeah. 
there's so many different ways to look at this. You know, you can talk to a variety of economists right here in our own state, right. and you'll hear everything from, we'll ride this out, no problem, to people's savings are going to be worth half as much as they are today in terms right. of purchasing power right. in five years or something like that. Yeah. That's terrifying, obviously, to hear that, and, and you wonder, how can we, as a nation, as a world, right. survive that? But looking at it through the lens of the Rhode Island Foundation and and distribution of funds, what is something that right now, in light of the economic circumstances, perhaps a recession, maybe we're in one, maybe mm-hmm. it's a soft recession, whatever the case is, like you said, the anecdotal and factual reality is people are having a hard time Correct. doing things right now. Correct. What can the Rhode Island Foundation do to stimulate the per- the the the, je- the average person in the state of Rhode Island's economic position right now. Yeah, so, you know, presumptuous to say that we could we could have that uh, brought an impact. What we can do, though, is focus on raising more funds and funding the organizations that are helping. Yeah. So earlier this year, or beginning in last year, into early this year, uh, we were appropriated $20 million of ARPA money by the state. First time we'd ever got a state appropriation because we know how to get money out the door. So in six months... We made 240 grants of 50 to $150,000 to nonprofit organizations, food insecurity, uh, behavioral health, and housing and homelessness. That was for them to help people do this. So it's getting more funding and, and capital out there. Uh, it's helping build capacity in the nonprofits. Um, you know, while I love the foundation and I think we do a lot, we're not the boots on the ground. Yeah. Our partners are the, the wonderful nonprofits working very hard every day. Um, that we fund. And so we need to support them. We need to support their capacity and their building as well as getting them capital that they can use to put out there. Um, and then it's how do you get through it? You know, what can you do from a from a food point of view? What can you do from a housing point of view? But as I said, you know, I've been around a long time. I'm not an economist, but I was a banker for 25 years. Yep. You know, I lived through the 80s of interest rates of 12 to 15%. It was ugly, it was, it was tough. And we got through it. What we need to make sure, though, is it's not inequitable, right? And again, if you have more resources, obviously, you know, you can get through it. But how do we build up um, and how do we make sure that that safety net is there? And it's not by throwing people off of Medicaid and SNAP, right? Now, tighten it up maybe a little. I don't know. I'm not the expert on it. And uh, even the federal funds, all the ARPA funds, you want to see fraud or something. But to me, it was basic. Um, the government gave out a lot of money. A lot of money triggered inflation. And the only way to rein in inflation is is higher interest rates. But from where I sit, a 6% mortgage in the history of mortgages over 30 years is still a pretty decent. It's not as good as 2%. It's right. a hell of a lot better than 15%. Right. Yeah, it's all it's all basically yeah. looking at it from from whatever however far you want to zoom out to look yeah. at history essentially. And right, and you and you pull in so people you know they buy generic brands or you know the dollar stores do really well. The job lots of the world are great places rather than going to you know to, to fancy places. But uh, you know the, the the corporate world, the commercial world has to adapt, and. Um, uh, you know, a lot of things happened during COVID. I get a kick out of it, just popped into my head uh, with all the tech companies and all the cool places to work. They're not offering sushi and, and Pilates no. every day now. That's They're right. back to what a real business looks like. Yeah. And things are cycles. I'm a big believer that things are cycles. And look at the longer game. That's what we need to do. You know, we need to be committed and playing it out in the long game. Yep. No question there. 
Um, last couple of minutes here. Yeah. Another element of the of the Rhode Island Foundation is you fund uh, organizations in the arts yeah. and, and in media. Right. Um, starting with the arts portion yeah. right now, Rhode Island is a great arts community right. at all different levels. You can talk about it from the, the student population to the the music and um, art, painter, sculptor yeah, sure. co- class, all the way up through the organizations, right. Right. Water Fire, Trinity, Absolutely. on and on and it goes. What, from your perspective, what's your advice to Congressman Cicilline on maintaining yeah. a, an arts funding in light of the fact that we've We've just talked about these major problems. Yeah. So it's a it's a great question, and it's uh, it starts from the fact that we are the largest and most comprehensive funder. So we have a responsibility, and you know while education and health, economic security are at the top, the arts, environment, you mentioned the media, basic human needs are all very critical for us to support. In the last recession, two thousand eight, when I first got to the foundation, somebody called me up and said, "Why are you funding the arts?" when there's all these other needs, your question. And I quickly said, because if we don't fund the art civilization as we know it goes away, right? It's a balance. There's no one answer, there's no one sector. Um, I think of, every day I come in, have come in, balance was at the top of my mind. Balancing the sectors, balancing needs of the populations, balancing our geography, balancing certain populations and things. Um, we've got to do that in a balanced way. So my advice is, and, and you know, he was a big proponent of the arts when he was mayor, Absolutely. but yeah. the, the arts are critical for many reasons, culturally, um, uh, employment, if nothing else. But, you know, how many kids have been turned on by music, by art, by, you know, performing arts and things that have taken them into their future while they're also learning algebra, hopefully, while they're also learning how how to read. So I think the comprehensive nature, it's always been a challenge for funders, uh, the temptation to narrow. You don't want to spread peanut butter and give everybody a little because they wave to you and you don't get anything done. On the other hand, very difficult to to pare it down. Um, We need to fund things that work. And so it's up to the nonprofits to show us what they're doing serves a population in, that, that will benefit and that it works. Yeah. Well, well said. I agree that it would change civilization yeah. <laughs> completely. I right. mean, that's right. that's I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of I'm, I'm what, that kid that I was I rode that wave. Right. And, uh, you know, and no you touched question. on the media, which you could, we could do an hour on. Sure. But, yeah. um, you know, again, for somebody who's been around like me, who still gets the paper delivered at home and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I now have to check like 10 news sources right. to find out what's going in Rhode Island. Yep. So even with all the, the new things that have come in, they haven't completely replaced the old things. Everybody's oh, yeah. got their, their niche and the danger is uninformed. And, it, and, it, and I run into people, prominent people that don't have a clue what's going on. And I'll say, what do you think of this? And it's a bill that was introduced last week. I have no knowledge of it. And an uninformed population, well, look, we've been dealing with that in a lot of areas. Um, forget about whether it's true or fake, just not even getting it. Yeah. Um, and not everything can be done in three sentences or whatever Twitter takes or all those other things. Um, we need to go at least five minutes, if not half an hour. I couldn't agree more. That's And it's shocking the amount of people that right before the, this last election— mm-hmm. I think it was election mm-hmm. eve 
the amount of calls or texts I got from people saying, so who's this um, yeah, right. Ashley Kalis? Is she, she's a CVS executive, right? Yeah, right. You know, oh, geez. And you just get, it gets, you're like, whoa. I know. You know, know. whoa, whoa. And these are people who are educators, in one case, a I know physician. That. Oh, they, I know know, we're not talking about, these are people oh, who no, you no, would, no. you're shocked that they oh, don't no, have no. a clue. I mean, the corporate community, everybody has got to be more informed of yeah. what's going on. And, um, you, you know, the, the vote is only worthwhile if you know what the hell you're voting for. That's right. Um your message, last sort of sign-off message to Rhode Islanders as you, uh, I mean, you're not going to live on Mars with Elon Musk, I assume, but, you know, you're sort <laughs> Neither of... Neither of those yeah, would they, I do, no matter you, where he you. is or, or on, on, on Mars. No, my standard line <laughs> is, you. you know, I don't play golf and I'm not going to feed the pitches of the park, so I'll stay active. But, you know, there's one thing I say, and I say it at the end of a lot of presentations I, I do, and I'm going to try and follow it myself, is be positive, look forward, and take rhetoric to action. So don't look in the past... Um, don't whine about this, that, or the other thing. Be positive. But then once we talk about it, get it done. Yeah. Nike's got it. Just do it. Yeah, well said. Neil Steinberg, Rhode Island Foundation. A couple of days left, about a week left. Yeah. Thanks for everything you've done for this state. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor.